Hey, do me a favor real quick. As we get started, would you take a moment? And one of the, the things that we value here is being a place where you know and are known. Would you introduce yourself to somebody, maybe learn somebody's name this morning, and we'll continue on. You can grab a seat when you're ready. Thank you for doing that. I feel like we have moved from like audible groans to when I say that to like minor level of like, okay, we can do this. Like that is some real growth for us. And you guys were talking for a while there. So I appreciate you guys. I, I uh, um, really do. Um, value that and as we continue to grow as a community together. If you're new with us this morning, uh, first let me just welcome you here. We're so glad you've joined us. But second, I want to encourage you to swing by our welcome desk following the service. Um, we would love to meet you, um, to answer any questions you may have about the church, and, and um, give you a small gift as well. So just again, helps us kind of put a face to a name. So if you have a second, swing by by the welcome desk. I want to highlight a couple things uh, right now. One is, I mentioned this last week, but out in the lobby, we have these cards, these kind of invitations. These are highlighting our Christmas services. Uh, here at the Mill Creek campus, we're going to have three services. Um, the first on the 23rd, which is a Saturday, and that'll be during our normal Saturday evening 5 p.m. service. These services are all the same. Um, and then on Sunday... Uh, which is going to be Christmas Eve, we will have a service at 10 a.m. that morning and then 4 p.m. that evening. Again, all three services are the same. If you are um, thinking about inviting a neighbor, a coworker, that sort of thing, one option that we have seen work oftentimes for, for new people that are visiting is that, that 23rd service. Um, because if they have family plans or whatever on the 24th, this enables them away. And so that might be something to consider as well. We are asking um, for you to register, again, just because that helps us be prepared uh, for each of those services so that we can make sure we um, give our guests the best experience possible as, as we uh, typically have an influx of people in those services. So we're excited for that. Love to have you involved in that. If you got a moment and you haven't done so already, uh, go ahead and get registered for those services. And then I want to um, ask something of you guys today. Uh, right now, um, our Shepherd's Heart Ministry, our food pantry ministry specifically, is facing unprecedented demand. Uh, so much so that uh, the cupboards are, are empty-ish. Um, we... We're going out and buying stuff and meeting supplies, but we have a real need for um, food donations right now. And so, again, during your Advent season, if you could swing by right through those doors there uh, by the welcome desk is our shepherd's heart kind of display. Grab, grab one of these bags, or if you already know, if you're one of our regular supporters, um, 
the there's a list of items on here that's needed but if you had a chance this week to go out and do some shopping and help restock our food pantry we're serving about 500 families per week um, right now and so demand is, is higher than ever and um, the vast majority of our food comes in from donations from the church and so i'll remind us on our way out um, but if that'd be something that you and your family could do uh, this week that would help us out tremendously i'm, I'm sort of imagining kind of a, a a mass influx of stuff next week and we'll put them under the christmas trees and and make it look really nice so thank you for being a part of that let's stand and and continue worshiping together Good morning. We're the Haler family. John, this is Lily, our big man James, my wife Chantel, and London, our oldest, is going to help us with the reading. The second candle of Advent is the candle of peace. As we hear about wars around the world, injustices in our country, and fear in our own hearts, it's hard to imagine peace, let alone believe it. In the face of such darkness, the flame of a single candle seems small, but the light of the world still shines in the darkness of war. It shines in the darkness of injustice. It shines in the fear of our own hearts. It shines even when the darkness cannot understand it. The light is Jesus, and he can never be extinguished. Let's pray. God of peace, break through our darkness. Bring light into our world, our nation, our city, and our church. When all is not calm and bright, light a I'll candle just keep in our going. hearts. One of the things that became necessary as Serve the World sort of gained momentum was creating um, a structure to it. First of all, you need accountability for the funds that are coming in. You need decision-making for how they're gonna be used. And then part of that was creating a, a serve the world committee. So there's four others that brood over these decisions every six months. That team that Bruce leads, they vet the financial accountability of the ministry, they vet everything about that ministry before we decide to commit funds. So this team comes out of the room together unified on each of the decisions with excitement and confidence in how we are re-stewarding the generosity of Chapel Street Church. So each gift that is given to serve the world leaves Chapel Street Church. All funds are redistributed across the street and around the world. Huge to understand that. We don't keep any of it. Secondly, it's always going to make a gospel impact and make Jesus famous. And then finally, each gift is given with the vision that it's not dependent on us. That ministry will continue because we just help them get over a big hurdle, but the sustainability of that ministry is gonna be well beyond the cashing of the check that we send them. What I've realized is the relationships that grow in Serve the World partnerships are with people. And as you spend time with people, you, you discover their hearts and your heart starts to beat for the things that their heart beats for. My name is Michelle Placeris, and I have been serving on the board for Caring Network Aurora since 2021. 
Chapel Street Church highlighted Caring Network for our Serve the World, and I was not familiar with them before that, but God had already been prompting my heart, stirring a desire in my heart to serve in a new way. Hearing about the work of Caring Network mattered to me because I want women who are abortion-minded, those who are setting out to seek out an abortion, to find a clinic, I want her to know that there are people that love her, that care about her, that care about the baby. When our team looks at applications, a lot of time what grabs our heart is realizing that if we were able to give to them at this very moment, it would be a breakthrough for their ministry impact. Chapel Street Church was extremely generous. They were able to raise $250,000, and we are incredibly grateful to our Chapel Street family. What we were able to do with those $250,000 is actually two clinics. One is set up for Austin, just outside the city of Chicago, and then one in the city of Aurora, and that's the one that I have the joy of serving with. Each of the Serve the World partners has a story. The, the human trafficking space was one that was mind-blowing to a guy in his mid-40s when Naomi's house approached us. And I discovered that human trafficking was in the United States and it was in the western suburbs. It was on Randall Road. My name is Simone Halpin. I'm the executive director and co-founder of Naomi's House. We believe that every woman who's been commercially sexually exploited deserves a new start. In the last seven years since we started serving women, we have grown from serving five women through our residential program to having three programs in four locations throughout the Chicagoland area. And as we finish 2023, we have served 194 women. I think this story represents to me obviously and very clearly God's faithfulness. But something that we say all the time at Naomi's house that we believe and that we, we witness happen in the lives of the women we serve is that it takes an entire community to come alongside a woman's life after it's been shattered from exploitation and trafficking. And Chapel Street demonstrated that. They said, we believe in the mission of Naomi's house. We believe in the dignity of women. We believe in the restoration of someone's life that has experienced such evil. Simone helped me get her heart for women that were being trafficked. As we continue to serve the world, my hope is that Chapel Streeters will grasp one of the stories, one of the relationships, and individually figure out how they can be a part of the story. Here we go. I really, um, man, just appreciated Bruce's articulation of how Serve the World works here at, at Chapel Street. If you've been around for a while, you know that every Advent, we, um, in addition to our regular rhythm of generosity and giving, we emphasize oftentimes a specific story or a specific opportunity um, that, that Serve the World has. Um, a, an ability to, to meet if, if God so provides. And, and those stories reflect in so many ways the, the very things that, um, why we do this. It's at the very heart of, of God, ministries like Caring Network and Naomi's House, ministries like Hope School, like we talked about 
last year. In fact, just this week, I, I had a friend uh, at Roseland Christian Ministries down on the south side of, of Chicago shoot me a, a video, and, um, and they had been a Serve the World partner. They'd been a, a friend and, and partner of Chapel Street for years, probably going on 20 years, um, and just sent me this video of kind of their new remodeled worship space right in the heart of, of the south side of Chicago and the community gathered for worship. And I'm just, again, my sort of sense of just gratitude and appreciation. And I think one of the challenges I'm feeling is when I am telling you the story of something like Naomi's House or Caring Network or Hope School or Roseland Christian Ministries, oftentimes there is like this, this sense that comes with it that's like uh, an urgency to it and an immediate, like if we don't give, this won't happen kind of thing. And I just want you to know um, we have opportunities and applications coming in all the time. So this year, our goal as across all four campuses is to raise $400,000 um, to continue. Nope, I said, I just raised it $100,000, I think. <laughs> Guess what it's going to be next week. Um, <laughs> our goal is to raise $300,000, and uh, but I'm praying for $400,000, apparently. <laughs> um, to continue to support uh, these partners that, as, as Bruce articulated, are just making the gospel tangibly known. Um, and again, 100% of, of these funds go outside our doors to, to serve these ministries, and your generosity is so appreciated. If you would like to give to that, uh, you can do that through our app. Um, you can do that on our website. That giving is set up there. You select the category, Serve the World, or certainly you can do that in person. Um, in our generosity boxes, and you can just designate on the memo line, serve the world, and those, those funds will go there and we'll continue to see these stories uh, unfold all around us. So thank you for sharing in that with us. Um, this week, I don't know how many of you are regular listeners to the For Where You Are podcast, uh, but last week, um, if you're not, by the way, uh, check it out. It, it really is... Um, I, we enjoy recording it, and, and at least some of you, I think, enjoy listening to it. And so um, we got into this conversation. Joe, it was Pastor Joe, Pastor Brian, and myself, and we were talking about the passage last week. But somehow we kind of got sidetracked into this conversation of the cultural celebration of Christmas. And obviously there are a lot of ways that our cultural celebration of Christmas can be distractions, can kind of can, can uh, be inhibited, uh, inhibiting us from experiencing kind of Advent in its true, meaningful, purposeful full way. But Brian uh, brought up some of the things that are kind of cultural hallmarks for us that also um, bring us into that meeting, allow us to experience it, at least when we're aware of it. I've always talked about this in terms of um, the anticipation that has a tendency to build in children right? When you see that, that, there's something about watching that happen that for me is such a key reminder of, of that anticipation as they looked forward to the Messiah, but then also our anticipation as we think about the, the second coming of our King. But Brian said one of his favorite things to do is just take a walk in the early evening and to see different individuals' Christmas lights out in their, their houses and their, 
and the, the beauty of the light breaking into the darkness. And I, I, I felt that with him. Like one of the things that I've always noticed is when we leave for Ohio at Thanksgiving, time's already changed. It's dark at 4.30, right? When you come back, you've already started to see this kind of explosion of light. And over the coming weeks, it gets bigger and, and bigger. Um, and then, of course, you know, some of us have a tendency to take it overboard, right? And then it's like, you've ruined it. You ruined the moment. Um, if that's your house, I apologize. It's beautiful. You're doing a great job. Um, that image of, of light breaking into the darkness, this is one of the specific ways that John describes the arrival of God into humanity as the person of Jesus, right? This is one of the ways that he describes the, the word taking on flesh and dwelling among us. This Advent season, we, we've chosen to focus on the prologue to John's gospel, where the apostle John, uh, before he really dives in to begin to describe the life and, and ministry of Jesus, he, he wants to make sure that we have been properly introduced to him, to, to understand his identity, the fullness of that. Because as, as John writes, and as he later states in his gospel, his very intent in recording this, this is from chapter 20, verse 31, he says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing that you may have life in his name. This is, and we see this in the way he begins his gospel. He wants us to know the fullness of who Jesus is, that we might have life. Another one of the metaphors that, that John is going to use, not only here in, in his prologue, but really throughout his gospel. The word that is light in life. So once again, we're going to take time this morning to read the, this entire prologue. Last week, I stopped at verse 14. We're going to read all the way through verse 18 to, and, and, uh, this morning. And as we do so, pay attention um, to the way that John describes Jesus as the light. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to John chapter 1 and uh, let's hear this together. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light that shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was created through him. And yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name, who are born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me, because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself and is at who is God himself and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. You may have noticed that that, that word light in the first nine verses that's repeated, I think six or, or seven times in those nine verses. In fact, the, the two descriptions of light and life that John uh, uses here in, in his prologue are themes that are going to be repeated throughout his gospel. And they're really, they're descriptions that Jesus in, in John's gospel will also apply to himself. In John chapter 6, Jesus famously says, I am the bread of life. When, when Jesus was with Martha at the graveside of her brother, Lazarus, she asks Jesus about the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus responds to Martha and says, I am the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the the question that I, I want us to consider in our time together today is how does John's description of Jesus as the light served to help us understand the fullness of, of who he is. In other words, why is John using this metaphor of light as a way to describe Jesus to us? And at the heart right, of what the light does, of, of what it makes possible, is, is this ideally, uh, idea of, of sort of a revealing Right? It's the very nature of light to reveal, to make known, to expose. And, and, and so I, what I want to do is I just want to consider here, what is it that the light reveals? And I think as we dive into this a little bit, we, we begin by the recognition that the, the light reveals our problem. The light reveals uh, our, our need, if you will. I... Um, I think we all kind of somewhat intuitively know the, the inherent danger that just comes in the darkness, right? Just, just this morning, like when I was, I get up early on Sundays, I get up before Sherry and, and get myself ready, right? And I was this close to, to biting it over a laundry basket that was on our bedroom floor, right? Because the light is, the darkness is, there's a, a, a danger that we have a need in the midst of that. One time when I was with our high school students in Ecuador, we, we went uh, caving, I guess you'd call it. It was not the kind like where you're crawling through tunnels, but more like walking on a path. But in the midst of this cave, they uh, had them turn off, everybody turn off your headlight. And almost immediately, you could feel the sense of anxiety building up in you because you, you lost quickly your sense of where everyone at, what was around you, you know you're in an unfamiliar place and in a dangerous place. And all of a sudden, like, your need becomes evident to you. Look again at, at John, how he introduces this in his gospel here. 
Back in the verse, five verses, we, we focused on this last week, but I want to come back to it. It says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. So again, John is, is, he has this correlation that he makes between the light, and as we see here in verse 4, the, the association between light and life, and, and our minds immediately, like where else in the story of Scripture have we seen a condition of darkness in which God is going to speak, he's going to use the power of the word, and the light breaks into the darkness. What, what echo are we hearing? And again, we're going back to the very beginning, back into the creation narrative, right, right back to page one of the Bible. Genesis 1, again, we, we did this last week, but hear the, the similarities here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was formless and empty, Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. Right, so the, the imagery, the description prior to the creative act of God in Genesis chapter one is, is darkness, it's emptiness. The earth was formless and it's empty. There was darkness that covered the face of the watery depths. He's, he's pulling on this ancient sort of imagery of a pre-created state where it's chaos and, and it's unordered and it's dark and then reality is it's just absent of life. And then God speaks. He begins to create. He starts to order the chaos. If we were to read on in Genesis, you would see he creates structure and design and he speaks life, light, breaking into the darkness. And so now here all the way back in, in John chapter one, John is introducing us to Jesus, and as he introduces us to Jesus, what is it that he's wanting us to hear? Why does he echo Genesis chapter 1 and John 1? Because he's doing it again, right? His intent is to help us see that this thing, when God spoke life into the world, he's He's doing it in one. In Genesis chapter 1, the light breaks into the darkness, and there is life. In John chapter one, he, he speaks life into um, our spiritual need, the spiritual darkness that exists in our life. The word he said, he is life and that life was the light of men and that light shines in the darkness. In Genesis one, God creates. In John chapter one, he recreates. Right? He's, he's doing it again. Like if you've ever seen something um, extraordinary, something that you're, you, you want to you share with a friend or that sort of thing, and, 
Um, if you've ever watched, like, say, like a, a, an athlete or something who just does this amazingly physically, like, impossible thing, um, and then you see a situation where it's like, he's going to do it again, right? What do you do? You count, you're tapping your friend. Watch this. You don't want to miss this. You need to see this. This is, this is John's desire and his gospel. He's doing it again. The description of the condition that Jesus is entering into in John 1 is a state of darkness. This, this theme of darkness is one that Scripture employs throughout. It, it describes or defines our condition apart from Christ and the hallmarks of it throughout Scripture. When you see that metaphor used, is that of sin and death. And in the midst of that condition, what we need, what we desire, is to be recreated, to be made new. If we fast forward now to the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah is looking to the day in which God is going to deliver his promised Messiah. This is Isaiah chapter 9. He describes it this way. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. So he's, the initial description, right, is one of darkness. But in the future, he'll bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, to the Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. The light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness in a condition, in a state where there's need, the light breaks in and that light pushes back the darkness. It, it reveals the problem, it reveals our need. We're living in a condition in our, in our own sort of humanity apart from Christ of darkness. And so as, as John introduces this theme, really, notice the way he structures this, because he does two things here that I think are important for us to take note of. First, and this is, I think, somewhat obvious, is that he, he sets it up as the contrast between the two. Where the light in, in John 1 is connected to life uh, overtly. The darkness uh, implicitly then is, uh, is connected to death our spiritual condition apart from Christ. And I think most of us, many of us, we don't, we can look around the world. We heard it in, in the lighting of the Advent candle today. The prayer that was read, we can, we can take note of darkness around us. We can watch the evening news for 10 minutes. And, and for most of us, we become aware of, of darkness in our world the darkness that surround us, but John's description of the light breaking into the darkness, it's not only, it's intended to do more than sort of make us aware of a universal need for Jesus. I think it's John writes in such a way that I am to read it and understand my own need for Jesus. Again, John has this way of, of, of taking the, the entire narrative of scripture and, and to show in such a way to point and, and describe how it's all along it's been leading up to, it's been pointing us to Jesus. And he does this kind of on, a, on the large scale, but then while simultaneously, he, he makes it very personal and specific to my need. It's not only the world that needs Jesus. I need Jesus. I, I, the light 
reveals what I need. And, and I don't want us as a, as a church family to go through Advent and miss our own need for Jesus and his provision to us. And I don't want us to miss the, the light that is life, the, the salvation that is a recreation of being made new. And I want us to feel that sense of like he's doing it again. He's recreating. So it reveals the contrast, but it also poses it in such a way as to reveal the, the conflict. I'll be, I'll be brief on this point, but notice in verse five, it says the light shines in the darkness and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Some of the translations will say understand or perceive it. The, the Greek word is, is kind of like the idea of grasping, right? And again, this is a theme that John is going to come back to, this conflict between light and darkness throughout his gospel. In fact, if you just flip a couple pages back um, from John 1 to John chapter 3, notice what he writes here in verse uh, 19. He says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. So again, there's this, this, this conflict of desires. There's this sense in which coming into the light. And, and John, again, in 1 John chapter 1, he, he pulls on the very same theme. The, the correlation between light and truth and our own sort of desire for the dark, because in the dark there is the capacity to, to hide. Even just that very human physical reaction we get, right? When we have existed in the dark and then somebody turns on a bright light, Right? You're, what do you do? You wince. You sort of pull back from that before you enter into it. There's this almost this fear that is inherent there. And John captures that. But in John chapter 1 and John chapter 3, he makes the connection between light and truth. Right? It's, it's when we are able to see our need, to perceive our condition that we can begin to take in and experience the story of Jesus. Jesus came to be the light by which we have life. The light reveals our need and he came to be the provision for it. Secondly, notice in, in back in John chapter one how the, the light reveals our purpose. And I, I, this is really in this description of the role of John the Baptist and the part that he played as it relates to Jesus. This is back in verse six now. John one, verse six, he says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He, he was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was created through him and yet the world did not recognize him. Here in these, verse, uh, these verses, uh, the, John the apostle, the one who's writing this gospel, now describes the role and work of John the Baptist. And in the unique way, his calling to be somebody who is pointing people to Jesus. It says, he was not the light, 
but he came to testify about the light. I've used this, this illustration before, but I, every time I think of it, I am brought back to this, this town in Norway. Um, it's, it's very far north, so just by its location, it automatically experiences um, huge seasons, lengths of darkness. But in addition to that, it is positioned in such a way in a mountainside that even in the season when they have daylight, they have very small windows of it. In fact, in the uh, early 1900s, their, their um, provision for this was to create a gondola so that people could go up to the mountainside and spend time in the light and then come back in, into the village. Um, much, much later, somebody had the idea of creating a system of mirrors. Uh, this is on the, the mountainside. I, I, I know the name of this town in Norway, but I'm not gonna try to pronounce it uh, for all of our sakes. They created this system of mirrors that would capture the sunlight and then reflect it down into the town square. The uh, quality of these images isn't good, but you can literally go into the, the, the town square, the city center, and just spend time in the light during the darkness. And, and John, the apostle's description of John the Baptist, it always captures this idea for me because it's just, I'm, I'm reflecting, it's not me, but he is there to reflect the light. And, and to be clear, John the Baptist played a very specific role in the salvation story, right? And, and his relationship to Jesus. And we are not John the Baptist. But as it relates to his purpose of, of bearing witness to the light, I believe that ought to be instructive and clarifying for us. He points to the light. He's the mirror, not the sun. To encounter the light, to, to be made new in him, to be recreated by him who is light and life has implications and creates purpose for us. To point to, to testify, to reflect on the one who is the light. In fact, Jesus himself uh, used that very same imagery back in the Sermon on the Mount. Back in Matthew chapter 5, the way he describes it, he says, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand as it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. It's this reflection, this casting of the one who is the light. When John the Apostle uh, writes this gospel, he makes it clear that John the Baptist is in and of himself, he's not the light. He's not the one recreating. He's not the one giving life. But he knows him. He can testify about him. He can bear witness to him. We ourselves are not the light. But I know him. I know how he has recreated in me. I know how the light has broken into my own personal experiences of darkness and of sin in order that I might have new life, right? And if you're sitting here this morning and, and, and you don't know that about Jesus, I would love to introduce you to him. I, I, I would love to tell you about 
about that. And again, it brings us back to John's purpose in this gospel from the outset that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that in believing that you may have life in his name. I think one of the, the compelling things about light, aspects of light, is that even the smallest amount of it is capable of being perceived where, where things are completely dark. John, John the Baptist had a specific ministry to prepare the people of God for the arrival of the Messiah. But we have been given a, a shared ministry of reflecting the light in darkness. The way we live, most, most definitely, but also as we testify regarding him who is the embodiment of grace and truth. The light reveals our purpose. And to again, borrow from John the Baptist a few verses later in chapter three as he's reflecting on his relationship to Jesus. He simply says, he must increase and I must decrease. The light reveals our, our purpose. And then finally, the light reveals God's promise. And just look at the way this, this wraps up in John chapter one, verse 16. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's the first moment when John names who he's referring to here. No one has ever seen God the one and only Son who is himself God and is at his Father's side. He has revealed him. He has made him known. Again, in these last verses, John, what John has been describing is identified as grace and truth and it's grace and truth that has come through Jesus. All the way back, again, if we go all the way back to the beginning of the story in Genesis chapter 3, Right, where, where sin enters the picture. Now there's brokenness on the scene. Humanity has lived in this state of, of separation and distance with God. We talked about this last week where his dwelling was experienced in the tabernacle, but there was limits and precautions and protocols. It's behind a curtain, right? But now God's promise has arrived. Right? Relational presence restored. The promise spoken of in Genesis when God said that he would not leave his people in the darkness has now arrived in the person of Jesus. And John says, no one has ever seen God. The one and only son who is himself God is at the father's side. He has revealed him. He, he is the experience. He is the promised one of God. I mentioned John the Baptist earlier in, in, in Luke's gospel, uh, we get a little bit more of the backstory of, of John the Baptist, and we're introduced to John's parents, um, Elizabeth and Zachariah. And if, you'll know the, if you know the story, Zachariah is, is working in the temple as a priest. And when he's in the temple, that's when Gabriel shows up to inform him that his wife, who the text says, like him, is well along in years, which is a, a way of saying um, beyond childbearing years, that his wife is going to be pregnant with a son. And if you remember, Zechariah says, Gabriel, you've got the wrong guy. 
Uh, and Gabriel essentially says to Zechariah, if an angel shows up to you and tells you good news, you ought to believe. Um, and, and he says, and as evidence of that, you're going to be mute until the time that, that your son is born. And when he could talk again at the point in time that John the Baptist is born, Zechariah speaks these words about his son and the role that he is going to play in, in preparing the way for the promised one of God. And this is how he describes him. This is in Luke chapter one. This is just a, a portion of, of Zechariah's prophecy about his son. In verse 76, talking about John the Baptist, he says, in you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Again, we, I put this image up last week of the, the scene, but as John writes this prologue, his point is, I want you to know who's sitting in that feed trough. And I, not I want you to know him in the sense of he is the word become flesh, but I want you to know that he has come to restore, to recreate. He is the light that gives life. He is the light shining in the darkness. I'm going to invite the worship team to, to um, come back here, and they're going to conclude with a, a song that I think captures this need for the light, um, going all the way back to Simeon's desire to see the provision of the light breaking into the darkness how that is experienced in, in Jesus, and then our capacity, our call to reflect that light um, to others. This is, it, the song's called Something Bright, Something Shining. And, and um, as they play, just receive this this morning. Amen. Would you stand with me to receive this morning's benediction? Just as a reminder, these cards are available out in our lobby. Grab, grab a handful of these and, and bring a friend or a neighbor with you to, to celebrate Christmas with us. And then if you're able, uh, if you go through those doors just to my left over there, um, you'll see our Shepherd's Heart Center. Uh, grab a bag to take with you, and, uh, and if you could help us meet this need that we have in our, our church, our community right now, we would appreciate anything you're able to do. Uh, our prayer team is here and available um, to pray with you this morning. Our generosity boxes are there by the side doors if you'd like to give to serve the world or uh, as a part of your regular generosity here. Um, we're so grateful for all, all the way God's people have expanded his kingdom. We appreciate you. Now receive today's benediction. Go in the name of Jesus Christ, the light of the world, who shines into the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.